Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We're dealing with hearing with your spirit, and um, it's a very important focus area for us in this theme of um, hearing the word with your spirit or the primacy of the word. And uh, just a brief recapitulation of some of the salient issues we did in the last session. I've tried to put them in point form in your note. Um, so let's just go through it quickly, and then we'll start to um, focus on tonight's study. Amen. We, we said that man is trichotomous or is trinal, or is a tripartite being. All those terms, trichotomous, trinal, or tripartite, simply mean threefold. He has three parts to him. Those three parts are spirit, soul, and and body. Besides being trichotomous, he's also amphibious. Amphibious meaning he's able to dwell in and live like a frog lives on land and water. Uh, a fro- and amphibians do that. We are amphibious. Man is amphibious in the sense that he's able to live and engage, live on this planet in an earth-based physical environment and yet simultaneously and almost effortlessly able to engage the heavenly unseen spirit world. Now he's trichotomous. He is is spirit, he is soul, and he lives in a body. Uh, And in that construct, in his triunal or his trinal characteristic as man, He's built such to engage the physical planet in a literal earth-based environment and live successfully here um, through the dimension of his soul. He's able to engage and interact with this physical environment through his five senses and able to live intelligibly and comprehensibly in the earth, but yet simultaneously with the spirit component built in him, he's able to interact with the spirit world. You must remember the unseen world is literally that. It's not seen. It cannot be seen with the natural eyes. Yet its invisibility does not make it less real than what is seen. In fact, the opposite is true, Paul would say. For the things which are not seen are eternal, and the things which are seen are temporal. So it's the eternal, enduring world that is our greatest frame of reference. Um, The unseen heavenly dimension is our greatest um, reality from which we function. It's difficult for us to to pitch into what I'm saying. You know why? Because we are so earthling-minded. We are so naturally, physically primed. Our point of reference is largely to the seen is largely through what I can see, uh, what I can taste, what I can touch, what I can hear through my five senses, which is, for most people, the primary port of call or portal through which we have consciousness, we engage the world, 
and it's what makes us human. Our humanness, however, listen carefully, the fact that you were made man, your humanity or you, your humanness is not primarily a function of the fact that you are in a physical body and that you are soul being able to engage this planet called Earth and live intelligibly here through your five senses, right? That is not primarily your frame of reference. Your frame of reference is this, that you are first and foremost spirit. And in fact, even before there was this physical world uh, and an earth-based time-space reality, there was the eternal unseen world that existed pre-this world. This world came into being after that world was. In that world, God exists. And the Bible says clearly He is spirit. Material, the material world, or as some people love to say, materiality, the physical seeing component of our existence was, was ushered into being from that world which was unseen and spirit. And God, in His wisdom, wanted to make himself known. So he created um, the earth, put man on it as the, the, the most accurate representation of all that he is. He wanted to visibilize himself. He who cannot be seen wanted to be seen. And he was going to make himself known through making someone just like himself. He is a tripartite being, as it were. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. And He makes man in three parts. He makes man with spirit, soul, and a, a body. In His image and in his, in his likeness. But He wanted this man to live in an earth-based seen reality, but being resourced from the unseen. So for this man to engage the unseen... God made him spirit. Right? Now, when Adam was made, the Bible says he, his body was made from what? The dust of the earth. And God breathed into man breath, ruach, spirit. Man became a living soul. When Adam lived, and then Eve subsequent to that, The dimension of his soul through his five senses was totally shut off or, let me rephrase it, the eye of his soul was blinded. Adam in living in this seen earth-based environment did not depend upon his sense of intelligence, his sense of rationalization, his sense of logic. His sense of being able to make sense of the world on his own as the primary platform from which he was going to live and do God's will and represent God accurately upon the earth. All he had to do, listen carefully, that is not to say that his soul was dormant and inactive. He, his soul wasn't in a zombie-like state. It, it wasn't just there and not used. He did use it. For without it, he couldn't live intelligibly on the earth. It's just that the eye of the soul was shut. 
as a primary force that would lead and guide the man to function effectively in the air. All he would do is, he who is spirit would come in the school, not the school, maybe in this school, but in the, he came in the cool of the day. The Hebrew word for cool is ruach, which means window, spirit. So he the spirit, God who is spirit, the Father is spirit, the Son is spirit, and the Holy Spirit is spirit. Is spirit. All of God, Father, Son, and Spirit is spirit. Right? And the, sp- the God who is spirit would come and he would commune with God. So, for example, Genesis says, the Lord God came in the cool of the day. Adam heard the sound of the voice. Sound of the voice of the Lord walking. That's another thing we need to decode. The sound of a voice walking in the garden. Hmm? So how does spirit come? Spirit comes always in a... Everyone says spirit comes in a voice. What did Jesus say in John 6? The words I speak are spirit. Spirit is always carried or communicated in the container called words. Voice. And all Adam had to do, this man who is body, soul, spirit, his spirit part of him is that God consciousness within him. It's the platform from which he as an earthling, as it were, who is born from above, from an unseen world, could tap into that world and receive words from he who is spirit, communicating words which are spirit. The words I speak are spirit. And listen carefully. He who is spirit communicates words which are spirit, hence they must be received in the man on the platform of his spirit. Because only spirit can speak to spirit. Right? Progressively. Now, Adam, when he was made, um, was not made sort of with all that God represents. What would happen is, daily as God would come to commune with him, we learned in the first and second Esam sessions, the nature of God is always gleaned through the word of God. As the voice comes, so progressively, Adam would discover more and more day by day about this creator that made him. There was impartations of divinity, there was impartations of image, and I believe there was disclosures of mandate. How is he going to rule and dominate the earth? He needs daily Doses of the sound of the voice of the Lord God walking to him and with him in the garden. Adam's empowerment was in a voice. Adam's leading was in a voice. Adam's, um, Thamor loves to say, Adam clothed himself progressively. Put on layers and layers of God each day as he heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the voice would disclose certain things to him. The voice would consistently disclose certain things to him. The enemy wanted to mar the plan of God. What does the enemy? He sows seeds of doubt in the mind of the man and the woman. Okay, you will be like God. Don't believe what he has said. In the day you eat of this tree that he forbade you of, you, the day you eat, you will be just like him, knowing good and evil. And the enemy enticed man or Eve through lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, 
and the pride of life. That is a separate study and how it, how it played itself out in the garden. We won't go there. All I want to stress for now is this. Listen carefully. When man fell through the enemy casting doubt, listen carefully, upon reliance on our voice, Adam was dependent upon a voice for his survival. That voice would empower his spirit. His, his own rationality and reasoning was totally dulled. He would use it, but his spirit would dominate and inform his soul. And with his soul through his five senses, he would live intelligibly on the earth. But the point is, he with his spirit speaks words which are spirit in the sound of a voice to a man who has a spirit. So this man is entirely dependent on who? He, God, who is spirit, who speaks words. When the enemy says, you don't need that economy, cut that whole system down, you are your own man. He was literally saying, you are God. You can be like him. Why depend on him when you can be like him and do your own thing? Hmm? So when he fell, listen carefully, the the temptation in the garden was um, the sin, rather, and his proneness and his yielding to it, Adam was making a statement. I don't need God. I can function independently of him. I don't need to be dependent. So then at that point, what became the primary platform from which this man would rule and fulfill his function in the earth? It would be the mind of his own soul. At that point, listen carefully, the soul became defiled. The soul before that was not defiled. Now, please tell your neighbor, the soul is not bad. (laughs) God, don't make bad things. (laughs) The soul is not evil. You mustn't um, think prejudiciously against the soul. Don't prejudice against the soul. Don't marginalize your soul and relegate it um, to a place of dormancy and inactivity. God made man's spirit, soul, and body the soul was necessary for him to function it just was that before the sin it occupied a a secondary role taking its primary leading from the word of god that the spirit spoke to the spirit of a man and his spirit would inform his soul the soul wouldn't question nothing that god said from his spirit to the spirit of the man the soul would simply say yes boss yes boss now the soul is Flexing his muscle. I think of it like a huge contest within the man. The soul, after listening to the voice of the tempter, the soul says, Hey, you spirit, I, I threaten your position. I rival your position and your function. I want to dictate this whole thing. You must submit and bow to me. Hmm? That is, listen, what in the apostolic generally, we are trying to get back to the Edenic state. What was, what was this creature called Adam? Adam must have been a species to behold before the fall. God's original design for, for man. In fact, I dare to say that our journey is forward, backwards in time, as it were. It's not just to the Edenic state. It's to Christ. Let me qualify. Because you know what the Bible says? Adam became a living soul. That word became means to devolve from a place of elevation 
to a lower order. Right? Now, why I say that, and I won't have time to go into this, because the Bible says, when Christ came, remember, Christ is called the last Adam or the second man. What Adam lost and what humanity since Adam through history lost, God sent his own son as a man to show man what that it was possible to live as God originally designed it. Right? As God originally designed it. And this is a man in whose spirit is totally alive, enlivened, enlightened, and in touch with the heavens. Remember he said to Nathaniel, while you were under the fig tree, Nathaniel, I saw you. Yet Jesus was nowhere near in physical proximity to that Jerusalem geographical area where this man Nathaniel was under the fig tree it's possible that a man can know things in his spirit even though far removed from a physical geographical environment that is the power of one's spirit not so what did he say you believe me because I say you are I saw you under the fig tree from this day on you will see angels moving up and down me the son of man I'm on the planet but with my spirit I can engage Heavenly things. I really want to encourage you. I'm so challenged by this study. Never mind the premise of the word and its focus here. I'm just so challenged by, Lord, get my spirit back to what it should be. Get my spirit back to what it should be. Next week, I'll talk more about um, the nature of one's spirit. I'm almost tempted to go into that, but I don't need to focus on the note here. But that is, that Adam was a powerful spirit being before the fall. So Adam became a living soul, but the second man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, Paul in 1 Corinthians says, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the second man became a life-giving spirit. And the Son of Man gives life to whomever he will, John says. Tell your neighbor, you are a life-giving spirit. So the description of the fallen man is living soul. The description of us in Christ is, I am a life-giving spirit. Please practice this. Wherever you go in your workplace, you enter there with um, an awareness that is way above your context. You say, my spirit is so alive, so aware, so in tune, so conscious. My level of consciousness goes beyond the natural man. I'm aware of things. And I, in this state, I have the capacity to give life to whomever I want. That's another separate teaching. Some things we can't release now. That's an attraction for maybe five years' time. Hmm? We need to get back and live like Christ on the earth. No deadness in my spirit. I am a life-giving spirit. You can become the life of the party in the spirit, as it were. When you go into a con an environment, you can affect the, the life of that culture. Amen? So that was a basic, basic, long <laughs> detour. But to basically summarize what we've, what we've done. I'm feeling hot again. Let's just put one of the air cons on. It's supposed to be winter now. I don't know what's happening with the climate in Durban. Now, listen carefully. God is the father of your 
spirits. Hebrews 12.9. But your spiritual father is the father of your souls. He watches over your souls. Hebrews 13.7 and 13.17 tells us that. Right? So listen carefully. You are spirit, soul, and you are you are body. Look at the diagram quickly. Um, the, the logos, which is the divine intelligence of God. God's voice is spoken vested in and through one spiritual father my focus is to watch over your so my focus is let's get the soul man back to and restore to its proper position and function let's make it whole david alluded to this in the psalm when he says you restore my soul the soul needs to be renovated the soul needs to be restored how will that take place words are spirit not soul Words are spirit and they are life. Matthew ten twenty says, Jesus said, when you speak to his disciples, you and your father in disposition over others, when you speak, it is not you who speaks, it is the spirit of your, the spirit of the father speaks in and through you when you speak. But he who is spirit can only speak to spirit. While the, the spiritual father is watching over your soul, he speaks on behalf of the Heavenly Father. Even now when I communicate to you, I'm communicating words which are, which are spirit and they are life. The whole intent of these words is to bring renewal, maturity, wholeness and completeness to your mind, will and emotions of a fallen soul. Right now I dare to say, for many of us, let me just use the color here. If this block on, on the board represents your soul, let me just say, use myself as an example. If I just halve this, I think it's less than half. I think it's maybe 10% of my soul that's been renewed. It's like a long way to go. Through the constant reception of words, which are spirit, thy words is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. When my spirit becomes word-illumined, a word-illumined spirit casts light on the darkened areas of my soul. Not so? The spirit of the, the man, the proverb says, is the lamp of the Lord. The lamp of the Lord, it says, um, and is able to know all the darkened areas, searching out all the darkened areas of his life. And I begin to, through constant exposure to this word, I begin to... See areas in my soul. Let's just say that half of my soul is in darkness. I believe wrong things, even doctrinally. My behavior is wrong in certain respects. My, what I think, how I decide, and how I feel. My mind, my will, and my emotions in some respects need renovation. Every time I hear the word of the Lord, it's an opportunity to adjust. Every time I hear the word of the Lord, my spirit, the mind of my spirit, must predominate over the mind of my soul. My thinking. I'll show you some examples shortly. The emotions of my spirit must predominate over the emotions of my soul. Sometimes I can have inaccurate feelings, even emotionally, on certain things. But the word comes to bring adjustment to that. I'll demonstrate that to you just now. And there's a critical one. Sometimes when decisions and choices need to be made, I must allow the word of God to illuminate 
my, my will. And so that this can take the decision and simply inform the soul. Right? That is why it says in the book of James, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's working from two platforms, the mind of the spirit and the mind of the soul. The mind of the soul is to override, is to configure, and is to lead the soul. The soul is to follow blindly the leading of the spirit. Now, I'm saying all of that. That's a long, long, long story. eh? This theme that we're busy with is the primacy of the word. I want to challenge you, whenever you sit under the sound of this word, you encode it first with the mind of your spirit. You don't sit here and try to make sense of it with the mind of your soul. Because there might just be unregenerate or darkened areas within you that will never be able to accept what he, the spirit of truth, is releasing through the voice of your spiritual father. And that is why, how does transformation come? Let's just look at your notes on page two. Is everybody understanding? How does transformation come? Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, so that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. You should underline the word um, transformed. The word in the Greek is metamor, metamorphu, metamorphu. It's spelled like this. If you want to just rise it above there. I meant to put it in, but just forgot. Meta, more, fu. Morph is form. Morphe, morphu is form. Meta is change. To change form. Metamorphosis, the English word is derived from this Greek word metamorphu. Metamorphosis, you know, the drastic change from um, a caterpillar to a butterfly. You don't recognize the creature after the transformation. It indicates drastic form, right? Based on the internal constitution of the being that manifests outwardly by an outward form change, right? I want to encourage you. I want to be metamorphosed. I want to be transformed. But listen carefully. Romans says, how does metamorphosis happen? By the renewing of your mind. I would like to circle this block. Listen carefully. If ever Christians are going to be changed, it's here. Transformation only happens by the renovation of one's soul. It's here where how you think, what you decide, and how you control your feelings that makes you uh, or facilitates your movement uh, far more quicker towards a place called maturity or perfection in God. Now, at the bottom of page two, God's good and perfect will, acceptable good and perfect will can only be understood, pursued and executed fully and to finality from a soul which has been renovated. Whose soul needs renovation? A man is first up. I need like major overhaul. 
don't know about you. Maybe you find. <laughs> it happens in one of two ways. Let's look at it quickly. Firstly, the preferred position is when we understand in our souls because we've allowed the understanding of our spirit to influence it. Right? This, this, this change happens in this way. You, let's say you're in a meeting and you're under the sound of the voice of the Lord, which is spirit, talking to your spirit. Your spirit is illumined. And the mind of your spirit says, yes, that's the word of the Lord. That's God's way of doing things. I accept it. Then the mind of your soul, if the mind of your soul easily succumbs to say, yes, spirit, mind of the spirit, I agree too. Right? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be. You need double witness. You need the mind of the spirit and the mind of the soul. That is the preferred methodology, not so? When there's this mind of the spirit accepting what God is saying and the almost uh, an effortless um, acceding, if you would, agreement from the mind of the soul. Yes, 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 yes. Mind of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Obedience becomes almost reflexive. Normal. You just walk obedient. Why? There's no context contest within you. Must I? Mustn't I? Mind of the spirit saying go. Mind of the soul saying don't go. With the mind of your spirit, you see green light. The mind of your soul, you see red light. Hmm? There's no even amber here. And you're confused. And a double-minded man is unstable. There's a, a instability and flux. Not in some things, in in all that he does, right? Now, I don't want to be double-minded. Now, that's the preferred way, but it doesn't always happen like that. Look at the next bullet. Oftentimes, the mind of the soul lags behind the understanding within the mind of the spirit. In these times, this is what I want to encourage you. In these times, we are simply to engage our wills, the will of the spirit, and allow it to lead the will of our souls into making a decision to obey God despite the fact that the mind of the soul is still unfruitful. You show your soul who is in charge. Right? The mind of your spirit is saying yes. The mind of your soul is saying no, maybe, but, what, if. Right? Um, in those instances, I am saying... The will of the Spirit must be so strong, it must rise up to lead, almost forcefully, the will of the soul. And in time, there's this lag I, I, I experience sometimes, where the mind of the soul lags. The moment the Spirit hears something, the mind of the Spirit says, yes, that's God's will. Then you go home, you stretch your head, but, what does the Scripture say, but... What I've been brought up in all my Bible studies for the past 18 years. But, now they're saying this, but. And yet there's an, there's an acquiescence in your spirit saying, yes, this is the will of the Lord. Okay? Anybody experience that? Conflict with, of the mind, a clash of the mentality within, within the spirit. Right? On the next page, quickly. I'm just going to paint out the principles and I'll look at practical examples shortly. Besides the mind of the soul in its unrenewed, unregenerate parts posing a threat to the, the mind and will of the spirit succeeding, besides that, there's this issue which we will talk about next week in detail. There's the issue of the weakness of the flesh. 
that can have an impact on the quality of one's spirit in how one hears the word of the Lord. And I'll show you that next week. Right? But for example, Jesus said this to the guys in the garden. Watch and pray with me for one hour. Remember he came back three times and he found him sleeping. And he makes this famous statement of his in Matthew 26 verse 41b. The willingness of the spirit. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So sometimes the spirit wills something, but it finds what the, the Luke, or what, what Matthew, the gospel writer, calls a weakness of the flesh. And we'll talk to that um, next week. All I want to say here in the first, the first tick on page, the top of page 3, the spirit must be immersed strongly within the speaking of God's word. It must develop in strength, potency, and dominance so that it can command the soul to the degree where the soul would eventually, volitionally, willingly, and eagerly, there'll be a willingness and an eagerness in the soul to follow the dictates and the directives and the leading without doubt and question. That's the preferred place to be, not so. Tell your neighbor, develop a strong spirit. Please, please, a strong, strong spirit. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs, I think, a wounded spirit, who can bear? Be careful about protecting your spirit. I'll talk more about certain characteristics or issues that sometimes the spirit man is prone to that makes it weak. But you must strengthen your your spirit, man, David says, created me a steadfast spirit, O God, a right spirit. If there's a right spirit, there's a wrong spirit. Hmm? I hope you got the right spirit. Huh? It's amazing. Have you ever met, a, even used the term, he is a spirited one. She is a spirited one. Full of vavavum, effervescence. It's like the person got, they are get up and go person. But one whose spirit is, is fallen, is even sluggish, even physically. Hi, how's it? What's up today? You know, like, <laughs> laissez-faire, casual, what must be, must be. Hmm? I wrote here, and I, I want to read it because it, it's very, very important. The second tick. The weakness of the flesh, where Jesus said this famous statement, Spirit is willing and the, the flesh is weak. That last sentence. The willingness of the spirit must override the weakness of the flesh. So that no longer will it be a refrain that the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Tell you never we're canceling that phrase. Right, the disciples succumb to it. But I, I, want, I would like to believe there will be a generation in the earth who are so whose spirits are so strong, so alive, so in tune with the heavens, that no matter what the physical, even bodily, things like fatigue that these disciples succumb to. Do you know what I simply believe? The push to breaking this flesh into immortality. The only thing that's preventing us now is just death, right? This body suffers decay, death, and is susceptible to aging processes. Right? As you grow older, you get slower. Right? As you grow older, I'm talking from experience, you start to sleep earlier. Right? <laughs> it's like 
you need the need to rest becomes more and more. Not so? But I hope, I hope in my heart and of hearts that there will be a generation that will overcome every physical limitation of the flesh. There will be a generation whose spirits are so developed, whose souls so renewed, God has got no other option when these two are thoroughly aligned to bring this in alignment with these two. And then we step out of mortality into immortality, the redemption of our bodies. Hmm? The next point, obedience to the word purifies the soul. Now, how many of you want to get your soul pure? First right? Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 22, the first part says, Since you have obeyed, or since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls. This for me is a very, very important verse. Because it tells me that when I obey the truth, what do I do to my soul? I purify it. I purify the soul every time I obey. Every time you obey the word, every time the, the word comes, illumines your spirit. And listen carefully, let me dare to say this. I wrote it in your notes, something like this. Even though in the, in the domain or the realm of your soul, you are still battling to make intelligible sense, or even to accept a truth that your spirit is accepting, but you are so strong in spirit, you will say, now you mind of the soul, you will of the soul, you will listen to the mind and the will of the spirit, even though there's failure to accept it, simply do it. Right? I'll show you some examples shortly. I believe this. When you do it, even though in your soul, listen carefully, it is paradox. Because with your soul, you need to engage the world, not so? Through the five senses. But you're employing the soul, being commanded or led by the spirit, even though it, it struggles to comply, but you enforce the will of your spirit in dominance over it in the act of obedience. It is purified. As you do it, you empower the soul to follow the leading of the Spirit for the next act. Or for the next time you're called to obey in that area. Think about how hard it was for you to accept first fruit teaching. Right? And wasn't a come, please be honest. It's a hard teaching to obey, eh? It's a test, a test a lot. Test. Or let me leave first fruits, the tithe. Remember when you first heard about tithing and you worked out? And then they, they, they told you further, it's not off your net, it's off your cross. And then your, your, <laughs> your headache went to another level. What was happening? Rebellion in the soul. There's a spirit principle coming to you, but the fallenness of your soul is kicking against the pricks. But guess what happened? I think what the experience of most people were, whenever there's a difficult command of God, no matter how you're feeling with it, you somehow obey. And guess what? In the act of obedience, you bring in purification to that darkened area of your soul. And the next time you obey, you are far more empowered. And the more you do it, you find less and less of a resistance from the soul domain. And in time, the voice of the soul is like it was pre-fall, totally quiet. The spirit is dominating it all the time. But if you sit under the sound of the voice 
or truth or doctrine and you are receiving it first with the mind of the soul, it is dangerous because you better make sure in, in that... Com- you see, God might just be speaking to this area here where it's unrenewed. I personally believe if God is speaking to an area of your soul that is renewed, it's fine because these two are in sync already. But whenever God challenges this, don't respond to his word from this platform. Hear it with your spirit. Enforce obedience. And the, Peter says, your soul is purified as you obey truth. Hmm? As you obey truth. How are you renewed? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you enter the kingdom? What was John and Jesus' message? Repent for the Kingdom is at hand. Here is kingdom. You want to enter kingdom. Kingdom reality is only entered into by a change of mind. The word metanoia, repent means you enter kingdom lifestyle, kingdom principles, kingdom truth. By Because kingdom truth will always challenge the mind of your soul. Right? John and Jesus started their messages. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand amen you know repentance is not a entry into salvation experience please factor that out of your mind it starts there but you repent daily whenever the mind of your soul is challenged and there's a place of error in there and the light of the word comes you say i'm sorry lord i was wrong in that area right i allow the mind of my soul of my spirit to lead me and in the act of obedience every act empowers you for completeness and maturity in the area of your in the area of your soul amen who loves your soul tell your neighbor i love my soul please don't go out to thinking my soul is bad no i'm i'm talking in the negative terms in terms of just areas where it needs renovation but we need this to interact with uh, intelligibly in the in the world right now, listen carefully. We often quoted the psalm in a previous session, Psalm 111, verse 10b. It says, The good understanding have all they that do the commands. It's sometimes only in the process of doing the commands that understanding to the soul comes. As you do, understanding comes. Okay? As you do, understanding comes. And lastly, I wrote there, the paragraph before the next heading, it says, every, please note this, every opportunity to obey is an occasion for alignment of spirit and soul. Just think about it like that. When God is asking you to do something difficult and you heard it in his word, just tell yourself, hey, there's like a contest here, but I want to obey. And this my, this is really nothing more than a divine opportunity to, for me to bring greater alignment between these two components. And as I do it, my soul is further purified. Amen? Your soul is further purified. I spoke to you about double-mindedness. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's just read the text. James 1 verse 5 to 8. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given him. But he must ask in faith without what? 
without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being what? Double-minded, unstable in, in all his ways. And that is an allusion to the contest between the mind of the soul versus the mind of the, of the spirit. That is why on the next page, the psalmist makes this request to the Lord. And when I saw this, I only saw this verse in this context this week for the first time. Psalm 86, verse 11. I'm not sure it was David, but the psalmist says in verse 11, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Then he makes this plea, unite my heart to fear your name. Now look at it. Teach me your way and I will walk in your truth. The, the request of the psalmist is, I want to know your way because I want to, in my body, be brought to a place of obedience. I want to walk in your truth. But I can't walk in your truth with a dual position in my heart. So he says, God, unite my heart to fear your name. There is division between my soul and spirit. We're walking two different roads on an issue. And the psalmist cries out, teach me your way, O Lord. I want to walk, teach me your word or your truth. I want to walk in your ways in obedience. So unite my heart to fear your name. You can't be walking around with two hearts <laughs> or dual position. That is division within yourself, right? The first responsibility for oneness is not external, it's internal. We can never ever hope to be one and unified unless we are whole people, singular within ourselves, right? Randolph must be a unity all by himself within his trichotomy. His body, soul, spirit, so in sync. It must never be said. Do you recall, I, I actually put the note in here. Um, it's a small note in the middle. It's in fine print. For your personal study, consider how the men came to David with an... Remember Hebron, the Bible says, and they came to him with a perfect heart, the Bible says. And then it says, and they came to him with an undivided heart. The men who came had a singular position about the fact that he is legitimate ruler king replacing Saul as as the leader now what I wonder about all of you is your heart united to fear his name because listen carefully unless there is synchrony unless there is this harmony right between your spirit and your soul this synchrony this working together the spirit leading the soul in all respects is the basis for total obedience a united heart is able to fear his name. Okay? A united heart. And there are other verses that speak to this. I won't quote them because of time. But you can see, just for the sake of the recording, I'll mention them. Uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 38 to 39, it speaks about God giving them one heart and one way. Right? One heart, one way. I like this phrase. Ezekiel 11, 19 and 20, a new... I will give them a one heart and a new what? I like that. One heart and a new spirit. Singular position within the man. They will walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. Right? 
extract, I want to appeal to all of us, and I preach to myself also. Randolph, extract all division within you. Don't be so concerned externally about the division in the body of Christ. What about you being united as a person within yourself? What about bringing oneness and components to who you are? Then you can focus on the unity in the, and the oneness externally. Amen? Now, let's go to the, the bottom of the page. In fact, go to the next page immediately. What I want to talk about now, let's look at each of these three areas in the next 30 minutes or so. Then we'll, we'll conclude. Let's look at the mind, the will, and the emotions in both the domains of spirit and soul. And see how that, in three areas, the mind, our understanding, the will, our decision-making, and the emotions, our feeling. So our understanding, how we make decisions, and our feeling, how that, there are some biblical examples that portray how that um, these can work in alignment, or if not, the result is to so, the result is disobedience, Okay. Now let's go to the top of page 5. A willing spirit and a willing soul. Just let me just paint the, the, the picture just quickly. Um, in the previous page, I spoke about understanding. I don't want to mention too much about the mind because we've dealt a lot on this last week. Remember in John 6, Jesus said, Unless a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he got no part of me. 5,000 men and women, children, they just had done the feeding of the 5,000, the miracle. Now there's, from the miraculous, there's a Bible study. And in the Bible study, Jesus said, unless a man eats my flesh, drinks my blood, he got no part of me. Jesus' church shrunk from 5,000 plus, whittled down to 12, the original 12 that were with him. 5,000 left, Right? He said in that context, in that context in John said, he said, my words are spirit. The words I speak are spirit. They cannot be understood by natural men. And the Bible says people were offended at what he said. There was a stumbling at truth. There was an offense. There was a rebellion in the mind of the fallen soul because what the, the word, the voice, Jesus said is spirit, but it it was, it was configured or encoded with the mind of the fallen soul, not with the mind of a renewed spirit. And so people rejected two things. Listen carefully. They reject the truth coming and they reject the one, the messenger of the truth. Right? So Jesus and his word are, are rejected. He turns to the twelve and he says, will you go also? Now the opportunity to decide where you want to be. You want to stay with me? What did Peter say? Where else can we go? You have what? What is Peter's focus? You have, you want to say words. You have words from the realm of the eternal. Words of eternal life. Words from the unseen dimension that are coming to us that they can only be encoded from the platform of our spirits. He wasn't teaching cannibalism. Jesus wasn't saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He was saying, assimilate me fully into the entirety of your lifestyle. Right? Eat the whole lamb, as it were. Now let's go to page 5. Right. Let's look at some examples, and there are many, I'm going to rush through them, of where the person involved or concerned here receives an instruction from God. 
And the person most often encodes it or the people with the mind of the spirit or the will of the spirit to take a decision. The person embarks upon an obedient response, even though, listen carefully, if the person was natural, operating only in the soul realm, they would disobey God because what God said did not make intellectual or cognitive or logical sense. Let me just say this outright. The, the mind and the realm of the spirit works by revelation. This works by logic. Sometimes the two are in conflict. God's ways do not make sense to man's mind. Right? This works by logic and rationality. Reason. We want to figure everything out first before we obey. Right? But sometimes, without understanding the fullness of it, you need to take the first Step. Remember God called Abraham and said, go to a land that I will show you. Even if Abraham was a modern man, we would say, where's the place? How long? What's my transport? What are all the arrangements? What's the destination? How long are we going to take to get there, God? God didn't say, <laughs> God says, no, 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 just listen to me, bro. Go to a land I will show you. It's only in the process of taking the first few steps do things become clear. Right? So the, the, that's why the act of obedience purifies the soul. And brings the soul into alignment, right? Maybe someone, maybe that's for someone yet this evening. Tell your neighbor, take the first few steps. You can't wait for the whole revelation. The whole revelation is only given to you as you obey the first few steps. Amen? Let's look at several examples. Number one, I'm going to rush to this because of time. Noah being asked to build a boat. Remember? In preparation to survive a flood which would be caused by excessive rain. A phenomenon he had not known nor experienced. He didn't know what rain was. Rain was unheard of in Noah's time. The ground was watered by a mist that would come upon the earth. Then God says to him, build a boat because rain is coming. Now the mind of the fallen man says, rain, what's that? God, I want to know the details before I embark upon this boat building exercise. Plus I'm going to build this boat for 100 years, so it's a lot of my time involved. I want to know the details. I can't obey you for things I don't know. God says, I'm going to destroy the world with water. So he was obedient from the mind of the, the realm of the spirit, even though he did not have all the, the details in the realm of the soul. If he was a soulish man, as it were, he would have rejected the command of the Lord. Abraham commanded to sacrifice his only son Isaac, through whom he was, it was promised that he, Abraham, would be a father of Nations, kill the boy through which you are going to become a father of many nations. But God, it does not make sense. It does not have to make sense. I discovered it most often, it doesn't make sense at the time the instruction is given. It only makes sense in the act of obedience. Understanding comes. Eh? The will of God for Joseph. Remember this? Triumph through a range of negative experiences designed by the enemy to bring abortion to his divine destiny. Joseph did not permit personal trial. Here is very important. Please listen. Joseph did not permit personal trial or difficulty, personal difficulty, to impede his progression in his divine mandate towards a place of rulership in Egypt. Consistently, he kept the content of his soul free from defilement, Bitterness, unforgiveness, etc. His purity of spirit 
aided his capacity to hear and so represent the nature and character of God in whatever situation he found himself. Right? A commitment to keep his spirit and soul pure and undefiled so that he could be obedient and be pleasing to God in every situation he found himself. Whether he was in a pit, whether he was with brothers that hated him, whether he was fulfilling a command by his father to look after sheep or to give his brothers lunch, whether he was in the room of a seductress trying to lure him into bed with her, whether he was in a prison, he was made the head prisoner, did not abuse his rank in that context. In whatever situation this man found himself, he was 100% obedient. Why? He, could, he kept this domain undefiled, pure. Because he allowed the domain of the spirit to always inform this. Right? So when adultery presents itself, what does he do? He says, no, I won't succumb to that. What did, what did David say? Oh, David. What did Joseph say to Potiphar's wife when she suggested that he sleep with her? Shall I do such a wicked thing? He says, no, no. Shall I do such a wicked thing before my master? What was he? Potiphar? Right? Right? He did not call it an affair like we do today. Even nice words. He <laughs> did not call it a, a me and Mrs. Jones thing. We have a thing. Right? He called it a wicked thing. Right? He called it a spade a spade, not an agricultural implement. He called it for what it was. Right? He says, can I do such a wicked thing? I allow the light of God's law in my spirit, which says, thou shalt not commit adultery to inform my decision. Right? I don't even allow the weakness of my flesh or the dictates of my soul, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to cause me to fall. This must be, you know what, if I can just get the church to focus here. The spirit must be so dominant, so word light-filled. With the law of God in your spirit, put you anywhere in the planet, put you in whatever circumstance, you will always make the right decision because the mind, the will, and the emotion of your spirit rules and dominates the domain of the soul. It is possible, tell them it is possible to be 100% obedient. We are all not there, we're all striving for, for perfection, myself included. But I'm saying, God, I'm tired of looking for rationalization and for excuses to, to, to try and, uh, what's the word? To try and explain where I am. Justify. To try and justify my state. At some stage, we have to mature and grow up. And I'm presenting to you, I believe, by God's design, this, I'm just presenting in picture for me on the board. This is God's design for maturity. God's design for maturity. Gideon being commanded to deliberately reduce the size of his army. How's this, Christopher? Christopher, you facing Midianites. You know, the Midianite enemy were like ants. I think the Bible says something about not ants, but like they were innumerable. They were like, what does it say? Look at the term the Bible uses. It's like there were multitudes of these guys. Yeah, Gideon got a band of 32,000. God says, no, we'll do it right down to 300 guys. <laughs> Remember the Gideon's one loaf principle? Right? Does that make 
good military sense to you? Right? Will modern day military strategists approve of this? Eh? The followers of the soul will reject the ways of God. What does Isaiah 55? I've got to put this. I thought of this passage today. I forgot to put it in the note. Isaiah 55 says, My ways are higher than your ways. You got your way of doing it, and there's God's way of doing it. Succumb so to God's way of doing it. Then also look at, for example, Israel standing still, being sandwiched between an attacking Egyptian army and a raging Red Sea. Remember? <laughs> Would you obey this? Right? A flood, the Red Sea is in front of you. A ferocious Egyptian army, known in their day as the military mites of the world, and they, they made their intentions very clear. We're not coming back to capture you, to take you back into captivity. We're coming to finish you. And, 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 the, and your leader, who is your spiritual father, he is God. He says, guys, God says, stand still. Moses says, no, the word of the Lord says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians you now see, you will see no more. What Moses said to them. Right? And you know the, the story. They made their way through the sea. And God's way is always best, eh? Israel obeying a seeming, seemingly foolish military strategy by marching around the city of Jericho once every day for six days and seven times on the seventh day in absolute silence. How is that for a military strategy? March around the wall once per day. On the seventh day, march around seven times. Don't say a word. How, I, I, you know, I wonder. I can't, when I was teaching, struggle to get 30 children to be quiet for 30 minutes. Moses, well, Moses, Joshua, can, can cause almost a million odd people to keep quiet and march around an enemy city. On the seventh day for seven times. Right? By this time they had developed some warriors. The guys were ready to fight. I, you know, I'm sure some guys, oh, mind of the soul, say, hey, Moses, just give us the call. We'll jump this wall and sort it. Just give us. I'm dying to use the sword, Moses. You know, Moses, still, till I give the sound, then shout. And you know what? The walls came tumbling down at a, at a shout. Where are we? Ruth is several examples. Ruth obeying Naomi's instruction to lie at Boaz's feet and act which could have possibly led to her death. But she did not question it. Right? This was like suicide. Esther's boldness in approaching the king to seek deliverance for the Jews as per Mordecai's instruction. Remember she said, I'll go if I perish, I perish. It doesn't make Rational sense to do this because you can't approach the king unless he extends his scepter. Now I'm just going to blast there and walk in there. What if, you know, if I die, I die. But, you know, you're going to be obedient to the point of death. The widow at Zarephath baking the cake for Elisha first, before her and her son. God sorted provision out for her. Naaman sent to wash, I like this, in the dirty river Jordan seven times. At the instructions of Elisha, who sent the instructions via his servant, Alessa. He didn't even go it himself. Remember, what was Naaman's problem? Pride, eh? Naaman's problem was pride. Naaman even said, I expected him himself to come out and to pray for me. He sends Alessa 
He always sent humility to deal with pride. <laughs> and because he's, he, he agreed and he, he obeyed, did not make sense to him. He even says, aren't there better rivers here? Right? right? Obey even though it doesn't make sense. I think that's the thing that God is bringing to us tonight. Obey from the, the realm of your spirit even though it does not make sense in the realm of your soul. How's this next one? I like this. Singers positioned in front of an army going to war by Jehoshaphat obeying a prophetic directive. A suicidal mission by natural warfare strategy standards. Right? Imagine taking uh, South Africa's at war with Zimbabwe. At the, at the border, we put the Drakens Boys choir in front of the South Africans and say, you go first. The Lord says, you go first. Imagine, so madness. Doesn't make sense to this, right? You know, what, you know what, what I consistently see here? God deliberately does like stupid, foolish things from a human perspective simply to showcase the, the, the predominance of hearing with your spirit and obeying, right? You don't have to understand all the parameters, right? Simply obey. Peter had been asked by God to kill and eat food, which his theological training in reference to Jewish dietary laws had prohibited. Remember, rise, Peter, kill and, kill and eat, right? Doesn't make sense, but obey. Mary being informed that she would be pregnant by the Holy Ghost, right? How would you like it, right? Come and the Lord appears to you, uh, Brittany. Okay, you're not married, you don't have a boyfriend, but you're going to be pregnant by this time next year. You must answer to everyone around you. <laughs> and, I mean, this was Mary's condition. Be done to me according to your word, she says. Right? She accepted it, although it did not make human or logical sense. Joseph being asked by Mary, or to ask to take Mary, should be as his wife, yeah, was pregnant, not by him, to be his wife, and act that would have brought him and her into disrepute. Right? That does not make sense. But, you know, I think God will test your pride here in many of these things. How's this one? The disciples instructed by Jesus to seat the multitude, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, in specific groupings in preparation to be fed by two fish and five loaves. <laughs> if you were part of this management team, you must, be, you must be, I'm sure the disciples, I think there's something wrong with the master today. I mean, I know he's miracle, I know the water into wine incident, but this is now gone too far, right? I mean, there's like, just, we haven't even counted women and children. If each man is married here, there's about 10,000. There's plus minus 15,000 to 20,000 people, and we must make them sit in groups of hundreds and fifties and organize this whole thing and take a whole lot of time. And all the man got to show us is two fish and five loaves. Right? How are you hearing? With the mind of your spirit or with the mind of your fallen soul? You see, how you hear will depend whether you owe, you obey or not. If you're still bound, uh, and your, your primary frame of reference is the natural, the physical, the soulish, fallen realm. You're going to question a lot of things. But when your spirit is so in tune and alive to the voice of the Lord, it's like um, whatever he says. Remember what, what Mary said to them? Whatever he says, just... I think she knew. 
He can ask you to do some crazy things just now, but don't even, don't even try making sense of it. Whatever he says, just do. Right? And in obedience, the miracle happens. The command of Jesus at Lazarus' funeral to roll back the stone, remember? What was the protest? The protest was, by this time, it's four days since he's dead, by this time he stinks. Uh, the reputation of our families in the line here, you, the people, everyone here in Bethany, who's in Bethany where they live, everyone in Bethany is going to know at this funeral there was the stench of a dead man's body. What did Jesus say? No. When that was said to him, he said, no, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Jesus was saying the last thing remembered in people's minds is not going to be the stench of death. The lasting image is going to be the glory of God. And sometimes God does things to uh, offend our humanity, our pride, to test us whether we are humble enough to obey the requirement in the, in the, in the spirit. Amen? And so, every one, in terms of the, the examples that we quoted, subjected the, 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 the will of the soul to the will of the spirit and the purpose of the lord prevailed amen and the will of the lord was done amen let's just do one obviously i won't complete this because of time but let's just do the next section and then we'll stop here knowing the world listen carefully but ex um Please, this is a difficult part to comprehend. Although we did part of this on Sunday. You know the will in your spirit, but you still attempt to execute it from the wrong perspective in the soul. Right? In terms of the diagram, it's like an instruction of the, wo the word comes to you. Right? You're not doubting it. You know it's God's will. You accept it. Right? But... In the expression of your obedience, as you execute it and you carry it out, you tend to carry it out from the perspective of the fallenness of your soul. Now, that is dangerous. Okay, It's not just the, the fact that the mind of your soul must be in synchrony with the mind of your spirit in the acceptance of truth or instruction, but also the will of your soul in deciding and in making choices and executing it must also be aligned with the will of your spirit. Okay? And you'll see how that, where men, in the examples we look at now, where men or people did not allow and wait even for further information, further commandments, as to how it must be done. They sometimes prematurely took things into their own hands and expressed a, a, a semblance of obedience to what they heard, but it was nothing more than their own human soulish attempt to bring manifestation to the word that they heard. Right? So and I'm not gonna go to these, but we looked at Abraham, remember, on Sunday. Abraham and how that he through impatience brought about Ishmael. Okay. Then we looked at Jacob at length on Sunday, so I don't want to uh, go there again. And he attempted to access a birthright for which he was already prophetically positioned but to access it through deceitful means and how he missed um, his, the will of the Lord for his life up initially, 20 years under Laban's household, 
and in his return to his father's house, things were restored. The will of the Lord for his life was on, on track. Um, he had to reconcile with Esau after wrestling with the angel of the Lord all night at Peniel. Um, he crossed the Jabbok, the river where he emptied himself, he's self-emptying. And he comes back, reconciles with Esau, relationships in order, and the will of the Lord for his life um, is reinstated, as it were, in terms of the way God would have it. Moses, um, when he was 40 years old, the Bible says, when he became of age in Hebrews, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he chose rather to suffer affliction with the children of God. So he refused sonship from the domain of Egypt because he could not accept sonship from Pharaoh's daughter because the Egyptian domain was a realm that God was judging. So he could not accept sonship from that order that God was judging in his day. So he refused sonship from an inaccurate Egyptian, pharaohic system of church government. Right? And the Bible says, so instinctively he knew, I can't be fathered by this environment. And so what he does, he sees an Egyptian flogging an Israelite. Instinct, he wants to protect the Israelite, kills the Egyptian. Right? He then has to run for his life because he commits murder and Egyptian law would have been applied to him. So he runs for his life another 40 years on the backside of a desert under Jethro, his father-in-law, well, would be his father-in-law eventually. Right? And then he returns again having been sent. Right? So 40 years prior, there was this inclination to be a deliverer, but not authorized. Forty years after, having been fathered by another, Jethro, and having been developed in God's ways, accessing the voice on through the burning bush, being commissioned, he now returns and he does not simply kill one or two Egyptians. Imagine if he did it his way, how long the process would have taken. Killing one Egyptian a day. Behind the... (laughs) But God's way, how does God's way work? In one night... He delivers a whole nation in one single night when he does it God's way. So he knew the instinctive thing to do, but he seeks to go about it the wrong way, being informed by the unenlightened state of his fallen soul. But once consistent exposure to word, through a bush, through counsel, by a father-in-law, etc., he's far more empowered to deal with grace in his situation. Amen. Jonah, remember Jonah expressed displeasure at the graciousness and the mercy of God towards Nineveh. Oh, check this prophet out. He goes to the, well, first he tries to run. To, where did he run to? Joppa, is it? Tarsus. Right? You know the story, etc. He's recommissioned. He goes and he preaches to these people. And to his surprise, the people repent. Then he complains of God, why did you send me? Are people actually repenting? <laughs> you know. Like he, he knew what to do, but the results he could not even make sense. Because he sought to give explanation to what God is doing from a fallen mindset. Okay. Remember Peter, I'm just thinking of another example. Peter saw a band of other disciples preaching Jesus or proclaiming the way of the Lord. And what did Peter say to the Lord and to the other disciples. Lord, call fire down from heaven now and sort those guys out. Consume them. 
Jesus was amazed at Peter. Because Peter said, if they're not with us, what are they doing preaching the gospel? Jesus said, no, no, they're not against us. They're with us. Leave them. Right? Peter could not understand and make sense of an, a spiritual activity in, in his day. Right? Samson was another one. Samson was a Nazarite, which was, meant that he was separate unto the Lord's purposes. He was holy. Um, he was mightily used by, by God as a judge in Israel. Mighty deliverer. Awesome. This, consistently the spirit of the Lord would come upon him, empower him, and mighty things were done. But his downfall was the weakness of his flesh. Right? To the weakness of his flesh, he lost his strength, his grace enablement to do God's will. Judges 16, 16 says, It came about when she pressed, Delilah pressed him daily with her words and urged him. His soul was annoyed. So he succumbed to the weakness of the soul dimension, the weakness of the lust of the flesh in particular, and he lost the edge of empowerment that he had within the domain of the soul. There's something that I, I, wanted, I won't do the rest of the pages because of time. Right? Um, maybe we can complete that on Sunday. But look, turn over to the last page is what I was going to leave a thought with you as we leave. And Jolene drew this to my attention um, in a statement that she just made. How that whenever Paul, in all of Paul's valedictions, the apostolic valedictions, a valediction is the, are you end a letter? The salutation is the greeting at the start, how are you, da, da, da. And the sign of, in all of Paul's apostolic valedictions, right at the end of these three, for example, in Galatians 6 verse 18, he said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with what? Be with your spirit. In, to his own son in 2 Timothy 4 verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit, my young man, Timothy. Grace be with you. And to Philemon, he, he said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your be with your spirit. He did not say, grace be with your soul. Grace be with your body. Although, it, it'll, grace will obviously has an impact on those realms. I, I just like this focused, this very, very specific destination of grace in the mind of the, of the apostle. In Paul's mind, when he imparts grace, he understands the landing spot for grace, the place where it's incubated, matured, is the spirit of the the spirit of the man, right? Now, grace will automatically, in your spirit, empower your soul and empower your, your body to operate obediently in the will of the Lord. How is grace imparted, by the way? Through words, not so. Grace comes through words. So word must always be received with your spirit because that is how grace, grace comes to you. So you must have a grace-filled spirit. A grace, the grace content in your spirit must be very profound. Because what did Paul say? I am what I am by the grace of God. I work, yet not I, but the grace of God that works in and through me. All of Paul's successes, he attributed to one component in God. He says, it is the grace of God that makes me what I am and causes me to do what I do. Right? Identity and destiny, nature and function, all by grace. And Paul knew this. Now the apostle doesn't use words um, without thinking 
All his words are conscious, deliberate. And he says to the Galatians, he says to his son, says to Philemon, grace be with your spirit. So the the impartation of grace is always from God to my my spirit. When my spirit is graceful, full with word, illumination, it can then lead and empower my soul in all three domains, in the mind, the will, and the emotions. Uh, In the next section, you can read it, but we'll amplify it when when we meet again. We talk about how the emotions... The emotions of the spirit must lead and determine the emotions of the soul. Otherwise, if you live here emotionally, you will be an emotional wreck. Hmm? And you will be susceptible to fluxes and vacillations in your emotions. It's possible to have the quality of an emotional content in your spirit. And you can put me anywhere. Put me in the worst trial. Put me on the highest mountain in the greatest victory. Um, it will not alter how I feel in the, I mean, you'll feel the pain, for example, in tragedy. you feel depressed, but it's not an abiding thing with you, right? Paul even says, even when we mourn, he says, we mourn, but not like those without any. Even, even, even our seeming mourning and difficult times, we have semblances of it, but it's not the same. It's not abiding. It's not enduring. It's not a characteristic feature of our lives. It's momentary. Right? I mean, we have this sameness of, of emotion. Okay? So I really want to encourage you. May, may grace be with your spirit as we close. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, grace from God the Father, grace from He the Spirit of truth, be with your spirit. Made from the vantage point of your spirit, you're so strong, so predominant, that you can call your soul in check, And then in your body, you can live obediently to the Lord. Amen? Amen. The Lord bless you. Amen.